Good morning, Mercy Road Church. I'm Greg Strand. It's good to be with you this morning. Are you feeling good about this Super Dope Bowl Sunday? Yeah, well, the Colts aren't in it, so it's okay. Anyway, good to be with you. Uh, I, I just pray that today God would do something special in our midst. I pray that he would encourage us. What does it look like to go on this walk of worship, this year of worship? And, you know, it's got to be his spirit that does it in us, doesn't it? We really can't even get there on our own. And so my hope this morning is that we'll be able to see who God is and what his love for us is like, and we'll trust him uh, along that road. So pray with me this morning as we, as we begin. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for each one that you have here divinely appointed this morning. Lord, I pray that your words would flow out of me, that it wouldn't be just my thoughts, but God, what do you want to do in this context? What do you want to show us and teach us? So Lord, we want to humbly come before you and ask that in this time, Jesus would be lifted up and that you would be glorified in our midst. So we trust you, Lord. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Josh has been talking and the other uh, teaching pastors about the spin in the last number of weeks and the turnaround that happens. And a number of us have had those turnarounds. And some of us have kept turning around and hit the wall. And, and we, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But what I think God is wanting to say right now is, what is it like to enter into a full year of growing in our capacity to worship? And what does worship mean? What's it about? How does it even function in our lives? And if you're like me, it's kind of been a slow journey. It hasn't been something that's been really quick. Um, I'm growing more and more in my understanding of who Jesus is and his love for me. And, you know, it's been a meandering road. Has anybody here had kind of a meandering road in life where it hasn't gone quite like you planned when you were 15 and 16 and 18? Well, my life has certainly been that. And, and so last week, uh, the challenge was to think about who he is and what he's done and remember. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to just sit down and remember a few things about what Jesus has done for me and, and kind of my journey. And, you know, I entered into a conversation 49 years ago. I can't believe it. Where has the time gone? 49 years ago when I was 18 years old. I was sitting out on a rock, better rock than this chair, but I was sitting on this rock, and I was having my first conversation with God. I had just heard the message, a very vivid portrayal of what Jesus went through on the cross. And as an 18-year-old, I had never heard this before. This was all new news to me. And I heard about this innocent man that was God in the flesh, who went through this unfair trial, who went through this horrific torture and beating, and this incredible, painful time of hanging on the cross and dying of a broken heart, dying of suffocation. And I won't go into the detail now. Maybe we'll save that for Good Friday. But you know the story, and you know the, the incredible pain that he went through. And as a high schooler growing up in the inner city in Indianapolis, uh, went to Shortridge High School, and we had lots of fights, and I was into fighting, and I was into self-defense. I could relate to the punching. Matter of fact, they said that the durative tense that they punched him so much you couldn't even recognize his face. They plucked out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on him. They whipped him till you couldn't recognize him at all. And then they nailed him to that cross. 
And yet he rose from the dead. And as an 18-year-old, not knowing what was going on, just knowing my life was a mess, I said, Jesus, as I sat on that rock. And nobody was instructing us to pray. It was just out there in the pine trees, and there's a beautiful, it was called Silvercliff Ranch out in Colorado, and the moon was shining off the, 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 the granite in the rock. It was just a beautiful setting. And I said, my Lord, my life is a mess. I, am, I know I'm going down the wrong road, down the wrong way. And I had this conversation. I said, Jesus, whatever this means, please forgive me and come into my life and, and take over. And you know, the minute I prayed that prayer, he did. Matter of fact, he was drawing me all along, which I didn't know. And he, he touched me, he anchored my heart in such a way that even though life has been very difficult and meandering, that anchor has remained. His faithfulness has been true. He's been ever-present through all the, the years that were to come and to follow that. And so that conversation started this journey that took me around the world, took me into slums in Africa and in India, has taken me to the inner city of Chicago, Atlanta, Detroit, Indianapolis, other places, has let me see mountaintop experiences, incredible joy, and then also go in the depths of despair with the loss of loved ones, with brokenness, with dreams unmet, with promises unfulfilled, taking me to a joy of losing, the, the, the pain of losing my first wife and the, the joy of meeting and marrying Beth, my wife, right now, who has been an incredible model of what does it mean to love people in the trenches. We live in the inner city, for those of you that may not know, and uh, for 23 years she's been faithfully loving kids from four years old, 20-some years ago, now they're in their mid-20s, walking with them through the hardships, modeling for me love that I could never, oh, shoot, I'll cry here. <clears throat> I could never attain to that. When it gets tough and when you get worn out and you still keep loving, you still keep giving, you know, what a, what a joy to see that. And, and I know that for her and for me, this has been a road. It's been a journey. And just like I want to share with you today some of the, the most profound truth that comes in all of Scripture about worship. And given this truth in the most unlikely place, with the most unlikely woman, Jesus is just amazing the way he shows us and demonstrates his love. So there's a, a map that uh, talks, it shows a picture of, there you go, of uh, Judea. If you can see it over in the corner, and then Jesus was going to go from Judea up to Galilee where the lake is. So he's kind of, I don't know if you guys can see this or not, but I'll, I'll point on this one. So Judea is kind of up here, he's going to go on up to Galilee. Most, most Jews, because of the hatred for Samaritans, would actually come up a little bit north of the Dead Sea, and then they would go east and cross over the River Jordan, go up the backside, um, and then cut back through the Jordan when they got to Galilee, and then get to Capernaum or wherever they were going. And the scripture that's so interesting today out of John chapter 4 is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So the first 
slide that I want to show you and, and make it real simple is that you were made for worship. I just flipped around on your scale there. You were made for worship. This was God's desire before time began to create a people who willingly and joyfully worship him out of a love response. This is why we're made. God created us to worship him, to give our whole heart and life back to him. And what he says in scripture, and I'll just share you what it is, it's out of John 4, 23, and we're going to talk about how he got there. It says, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. There it is. Seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And as I've been thinking about this, I realize that unless the Holy Spirit is moving in me and revealing who Jesus is, I'm not going to get it. Like I sat out on that rock, if that hadn't have been the revelation of Christ in me and to me, I would not have understood and been able to go in this journey. But he's wanting people to come to him in spirit and in truth. And we're going to peel that back just for a minute. So Jesus says in John chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria... So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now picture this. Jesus has just walked from um, Jerusalem all the way into Samaria on a hot, dusty road with sandals and his robe on, and it's hot and dusty, and he's just gone, some scholars say, between 30 to 35 miles on foot. Now, I don't know about you, unless you do a lot of climbing, mountain climbing, whatnot, that's a long way to go. So naturally, he's tired. And he, he sits down at Jacob's well, and I won't go into the history on that right now, and right at the time he's sitting down, he's resting, he's tired, he's just, this woman comes up at noon with her water pot. Well, women didn't come up at noon and normally to draw water. It was in the cool of the morning or the cool time in the evening, but not noon, not when the sun is blazing hot. And so this woman comes, and he sees her, and he engages. This is what's so great about Jesus. He takes the first step to engage us and to pull us into a dialogue, into a conversation. And so in verse 7, it says, When the Samaritan woman came to draw water... Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, now this is interesting. You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So this lady's probably got a little bit of an attitude here and not quite sure why the hated Jews would talk to a Samaritan woman, let alone a woman. This is a patriarchal culture. This was one where woman, women, especially women that might have been a shady lady like this one was, because she was coming at noon. The story we find out later, she probably was adulterous for sure, maybe prostitute, we don't know. But, but things were, were messed up in her life. And so here she is, ask, he, she's at noon, and he's asking her for a drink of water. And he engages, and she... 
I think, you know, where I live in the city, you know, some people might have a catch what we call an attitude. Say, who are are you? (laughs) What are you doing talking to me? You know, we're from two opposite places. And yet Jesus engages, that doesn't put him off. And then he says, um, Jesus answered her. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I've read this passage of scripture lots of times. Gone through, you know, read about the woman at the well. And I never quite understood until the last couple weeks as we've been studying this, that there was a progression of him peeling back the layers of blinders in her eyes where she could begin to see who he is. And he's revealing himself to her. He's saying, if you knew who it was, she didn't know him, who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked for living water. The revelation starts. He wants her to begin to think something in a way that she's, she's probably not in that framework at all. But he said, I'll give you living water if you'd have just known who I was. And then he said, this living water, which we now know we can look back on, refers to the life of the Holy Spirit in us. This water that bubbles up from inside of us. And then in verse 15, Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks... The water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's thinking literal water. He's saying, no, this is living water. He's talking about some spiritual truth she's not connecting yet, right? But he's patient with this. He doesn't say, well, don't you dummy, don't you get this? He's so, and he's patient. I feel like that with me. There's a lot of times I just don't get things, right? And he's very, very patient. How about you? Do you have people in your lives that don't get things right away and you kind of get frustrated with them? Marriages, that happens sometimes, right? This husband is kind of dense, you know. You're not getting this. <laughs> I get, you know, that's, that's real. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we are pretty dense. I'll speak to the males. I'm not going to talk about the females on that. And, uh, and then he says, or she says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them uh, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty or get thirsty and have to come here and draw water again. She was tired of coming at noontime when the other women weren't there, and I'm sure she's been ostracized. And then he tells her... <clears throat> Go call your husband and come back. Interesting reply. He's, 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 he goes right to the core of some of the biggest challenges of her life. He doesn't mess around. He dives right in, and he goes, go call your husband and come back. Now, Jesus is functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> this is probably a classic word of knowledge that he's functioning and operating out of that, that was real, revealed to him. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, now you can read this two ways. At first, I used to read it this way. Well, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. 
Do you think that was his tone? Not a bit. When you look at the character of God, and he said, we were reading in Isaiah this, this weekend, we had a retreat uh, last night, or yesterday and, and the night before, and in Isaiah it says that a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put out. If we're frail and broken, he's not going to cut us off and break us. If we're just barely flickering with the light on the inside, he's not going to snuff us out. That's not his character. My guess is he said something like, well, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And kind of this sadness of, yeah, that really is true. Well, her response is, sir, the woman said, I can see or I perceive that you're a prophet. So he's, he's just gone right into the core of who she is, I think there's this gentle tone that he has. She went from this acidic, who are you, to sir, to, oh, uh, you must be a prophet. And the revelation is starting to come more and more. And yet she's a little nervous, and she said, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. He doesn't even go into that question. He says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, you could have a drum roll right here. The eternal truth is about to come out, which we started with. Now, get this. He says, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. This is kind of this eternal thing from the ages that he's saying, now I want you to know he wants us to worship him in spirit and truth. Most of us kind of read that and we go, well, that's great. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean for my life? What does that mean for your life? Well, we get these first steps about surrendering, surrendering to Jesus and getting to know him. But I think true worship comes with intimacy, with time spent, with growing in his presence and finding out about his love, with diving into the scriptures, into the word, and feeding ourselves and finding out, wow, his character is revealed, his love is revealed. And that time alone, he'll actually speak to us if we'll allow him to do that. And then she's... She kind of, there's something spiritual going on in her thinking, and she, she knows the story kind of of Messiah coming. This was, this was prevalent for, for generations and generations and centuries. And then she says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So she's kind of going, I don't quite understand all this spiritual stuff, but I know that when Messiah comes, he's actually going to reveal, and he's going to explain this stuff to us that I don't understand. And this is phenomenal. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. He is letting this outcast of a woman by that culture, a Samaritan hated woman, is revealing to, to her the most clear message and presentation of who he is in all of Scripture. What is he doing? 
What, what, what is he, why is he choosing this woman that's hated and a reject and probably a prostitute to bring the greatest truth of all mankind about who he is? I am the Messiah. Have you ever thought about that? And what about, what about Mary Magdalene, that five demons were cast out, and then, then she's at, at, a, at a house, at a party that he's at with Simon that could have been a leper and also a Pharisee at the same time. And she is weeping on his feet and washing his feet, his dusty feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, and then takes this ointment, this nard, and anoints his head and anoints his feet. And he said, what this woman has done when the gospel is preached will be remembered throughout the whole world for all time. What is he doing? He's receiving worship from another woman who is a reject of society. And then what about Mary, the same thing? When Jesus is risen from the grave, who's the first one to actually physically see Jesus? It's that same Mary. What's the message he's trying to give to us? The message is no matter how broken or screwed up you are, or I am, he wants to reveal who he is to us. He wants to say that you're not so far that I won't draw you in and love you and let you see me for who I am. The fact that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And there's something going on in the heavenlies right now with his position in, in, in heaven that we can't even imagine. We can hardly get our arms and eyes around it. I think this process of revelation is just phenomenal. So I have three simple points this morning. The first is true worship elicits a response. Something happens in us. What does she do there? You know the story, right? The disciples come, they're giving him food or they want to give him food, and she takes off and she goes back to Sakar and she's telling all the men, oh, now wait, she didn't go to the women. I wonder why. Probably rejected, right? And the men, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Uh-oh. I wonder if it was one of those men that was a previous husband or other things. And they're, 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 they're curious. What is this woman talking about? But somehow there was an urgency and, and a conviction in her, in her heart that you got to see this. you got to meet this guy. And so they come... And it was interesting back then they would have a white turban and robes that the Samaritans would, would wear. And they're coming kind of in mass, lots of folks from this city. And Jesus then is speaking to his disciples and he said, um, you know, I have food that you don't know of. And I am full. Matter of fact, he was tired. He was weary. He was just probably pretty exhausted. He has this conversation. The revelation happens. And the, the, the disciples come and he goes, man, my food is to do the will of the Father. And he's re-energized because what? A life has been changed. Now a city's about to be changed because God has set this up this way. I remember when I was in Katali, Africa a number of years ago and was talking to villagers there. And there was... Um, we were in a kind of a horse shed or, or stall with animals, and it was about as long as this room, and it was just open on both sides. We had old wooden benches, and people had walked for miles and miles and miles to come. We had a little over a hundred and some folks from, from all the remote places. And um, 
we were sharing, teaching, and I was trying to convey a point that, you know, the harvest is ripe right now. And I, looked, I just looked out, and the sun happened to be setting on these wheat fields, and the wheat was just kind of flowing back and forth like this. And I said, stand up, turn around, and look at that. And they looked at it and was like, oh, my gosh, they're ready. it's ready to be harvested right now. It was the right season. It was such a vivid picture. And I wonder what this picture was like with all of these people coming. And they asked Jesus to spend two days there. And then they said, yeah, we first believed because of your testimony, but now we believe because we've met him ourselves." True worship elicits surrender. And it elicits a response. Now, just to, re- to recall briefly who Jesus is in Colossians 1, picture this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, and he is before him, before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the glue of the universe. God says, let there be light, and there was light. God created the earth, boom, there was earth. He spoke things into creation. Jesus was the agent of creation in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is, is Jesus, the Word was, was in the beginning was the Word, the Word was flesh, and the Word dwelt among us, and all things were created through him. And nothing was created that wasn't created by him. And so what he's saying is he's the agent, the author of creation. This is who we're worshiping. This is who we're giving our whole lives to, and he is worthy Another one in Hebrews, just like it, it says, uh, In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is sitting in the place of heaven right now with the Father. And I'm going to quickly just uh, touch a verse or two. John in Revelation, we have a picture of him in heaven. And there's this place right now where the, the scroll needs to be opened and there's nobody worthy to open it. He's in tears. He's all upset. And they say, stop weeping. And then they, they tell him to look, behold the Lion of Judah. And as he looks and turns around, he sees a lamb as if slain or slaughtered. And this is Jesus who takes this scroll. And when he takes the scroll, the the 24 elders, the living beings, all fall down and they worship him. And they say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and to open it. For you were slaughtered or slain, and your blood has been ransomed for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've caused them to become a kingdom of priests to our God, and they'll reign upon the earth. All of heaven right now, folks, is worshiping him. I'm wondering, and this is hard for me to get my head around, but if they're worshiping him now, and this is something that's going to happen through all eternity, I wonder what that means for us. Would it be good if we began to surrender more and more and worshiped him with all of our being, just as they're doing. They're falling flat before his presence. They're falling down. 
in awe and wonder of who he is. I was, uh, I was on a flight one time from, when I was working with the Billy Graham team, I was going from um, Dallas down to Houston. And in the airport, there was this guy who was um, wearing this bright orange robe, orange socks, he was bald. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that is really interesting. Um, I sure hope I don't have to sit by him. <laughs> so I sat down on my aisle seat because I've got long legs. And um, sure enough, somebody comes a little bit later in the flight and comes and sits right down next to me, and he's all in bright orange. And, uh, and it probably wasn't the you know, most spiritual response that I had. But um, anyway, I thought, well, you know, okay, this guy's here. I'm not quite sure what to do. I don't know that I knew how I should witness to um, a person that was probably a Buddhist. And... Um, so I just started asking him questions. I said, so tell me, what do you do? Well, he tells me that he's a monk and he's doing this. And I said, well, what do you guys believe? So he's telling me all this stuff and goes through this. I'm just sitting very patiently listening to him. And uh, I said, so can I tell you what I believe? He said, yeah. I said, well, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he's alive right now and I'm his, one of his followers. And at this time, and I'm kind of sharing my story with him, we're beginning to come down into the Houston airport, and I've never been in a plane flight like this where this, this storm came up and the wings start doing this on the plane. Have you ever been in that? But I mean, they started doing this on the plane, and I'm thinking, oh, I tighten that belt up, and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is, this is just as bumpy, and we're doing this you know, as well. And so we're coming right down to the landing, and all of a sudden, whew, we, we, we don't land. We take off and divert. We go to the right and uh, couldn't land on the runway. The, there was too much pitching and yawing going on. And uh, we uh, circled around and, and, you know, we were all a little nervous. And, and uh, same thing, wings are flapping, come in, pitching and yawn. Same thing, we pulled out again and couldn't land. So the third time we come around, and we're, just as we're, we're banking to come back into it, I said, and his name was Cameron, I said, you know, Cameron, I said, if we die today, I said, I know for a fact where I'm going to be. I'm going to be right in the presence of Jesus Christ. How about you? Where are you going to be? His eyes were like saucers. His mouth was, you know, dry. It was just like this. And I, I had quoted the verse out of um, Philippians that at some point, every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I said, so if we die today, I know in an instant I'm going to be right in his presence. And this poor guy, he was just so unsure and unsettled. And I, tried, and I prayed for Cameron for years. I don't know what happened to him. But I, I was just thinking, God made an exclamation point in that guy's life. But, but for me, it was a conviction that really I thought, <laughs> by the third time I thought, well, we probably are going to crash and die. And, and there's a little bit of terror that goes on with that. And then the, the third time we finally came in and then the, the pilot comes on, he goes, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, but we had to abort the landing two times because there was too much turbulence that was going on. And then the third time we made it and we landed and we all breathed a huge sigh of relief. The reality, though, that that imprinted on my life was I could have in a moment gone to be with Jesus, and I knew for sure where I was going to be. There was no doubt. And then I would enter into this kind of worship, and I, I, I can imagine the first time I, I meet him, I know I'm going to fall on my face. I mean, everybody you read in Scripture falls on their face because he's so glorious. 
so brilliant, so incredible. And I thought, he is worthy of worship. He's worthy of me giving it my all. And even though I've been on this meandering journey and suffered loss and heartache and had joys and have um, three great kids and seven grandkids, and, and uh, I, I still understand that sometimes we just get in survival mode. Have you ever been worn out and in a survival mode? Anybody here kind of nod your head? Yeah, I've had lots of seasons like that. And the other thing I'm finding is that God wants us to make space to have that time, to have that time alone with him, both individually and corporately. And this year we want to make space in here for you to be free to express yourself in worship. And so the second point that I've got is that true worship aligns our hearts. When we realize that we're fractured and broken and there's pain and difficulty, and we all have, a, does anybody else have baggage beside me? The, I mean, it's pretty thick. I'm six, in March, I'll be 67 years old, and I'm going, man, you are screwed up. There are so many things that are broken in you. And, and I'm realizing that I have to both embrace my brokenness, and I have to embrace, this has just happened in the last couple of years, so I hope you get there quicker than me. But I've, I've, I've embraced suffering and hardships as being okay. Because you know what? It makes me and draws me closer to Jesus. Because this life really isn't about me. I'm privileged to live it and for him to uniquely use me however he wants. But it's not about me. It's about him. And so he aligns our heart to, for us to understand who we really are. And then true worship moves us to expression. Moves us to the freedom. You know, when you look at TV tonight, just watch the audience. All the folks that are there in the stadium. Are they going to sit there? Oh, this is just a great game. Yeah, nice. Good touchdown. Yeah, good run. Yeah, shucks, missed that one. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, people are going to explode. Watch it. And you know, you've heard this comparison before, but, you know, yeah, we get thrilled and, and excited about sports. I do too, but... But what about do we get thrilled with Jesus? And some of us perhaps have been so tired, have been on this survival mode. There's a scripture out of Matthew 28 that is just such a comfort to my heart. It says, are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. This year, could we take time to really get alone with him? I was talking to one of the band members, Lauren, today. He said the last three years the Lord's called him to get up at 6 a.m. and just have space, time to be with Jesus. And you know what? It's growing. His worship is growing more and more. That is becoming a priority. Is that a priority for you? Is that a priority for me? And then he says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. This is a great line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that sweet? I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How much do we try to carry our own burdens, our own junk, our own baggage? How often do we want to take this journey over and control it versus being led by the Spirit? I think this morning that God wants us to come to a greater place of freedom in this whole year. Again, we're all going to be at different places, you know, in our expression, in our freedom. 
But, but we want you to know here, we, you can be free. To, you know, it says in Scripture, it wants the men to pray lifting holy hands. You can kneel, you can bow, you can sit quietly, whatever it is, but be free to express yourself in worship because he's the one we're focusing on. It's not your neighbor. It's not your spouse or your kids. It's about Jesus. And when we see him for who he is, then there's this thrill and this release in us. And I believe that in, I've been in some places in worship where it's almost like the manifest presence of God permeates and falls on us. And when that happens, we're never the same. And I believe that healing can come to our hearts, to our souls in the context of worship. I believe that in worship, when we're even corporately worship, it talks in Psalm 149 that the nobles are bound with fetters of iron. Spiritual warfare happens as we worship, and God does things we can't even see because he's God. So I want us to have freedom today to express our worship and to grow in this journey and to realize that like the woman at the well, it might be layer by layer of revelation. Like me, it's, I must be a knothead because it's taken a lot of years and I'm still growing. I'm not there. I haven't arrived at all. I'm just, I'm, I just feel sometimes like I'm at the beginning of the journey again to say, oh Lord, free me up to love you more. So let's stand up and let's, uh, let's give the time time to the Lord here to surrender to him. And as we do that, I'd like us to look at Psalm 95 up on the board, up on the screen, and I'd like us to read this together, and then I want to pray with us. Ready? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. That's it. You can say it out loud with us. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you will hear His voice, and it stops, do not harden your hearts. (laughs) So let's pray today, and let's let the Lord um, minister to us. Um, as you're praying and your eyes are closed right now, would you just kind of lift your hands up in front of your, your body like I'm doing and just say, Jesus, I want to surrender to you afresh today. I want you to touch me as only you can touch me. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with a release of the tension and the burden that I carry and I try to carry. Lord, show us what hinders our own walk with you as far as entering more into your presence in freedom and in worship. Lord, we're not trying to judge one another or look at one another, but Lord, be comfortable with the fact that we can fully express ourselves to you. And Lord, give us that space and that time that we need alone, that space that we need here and elsewhere, Lord, to truly... Let our lives reflect a life of worship in our work, Lord, in our family lives, Lord, and in our celebration of you. So, Lord, prepare our hearts 
We love you. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.